I believe that we're going to go to a world where we're essentially commoditizing how humans agree and trust each other. And we're coming from a world where we just commoditized how we communicated. I'm Tor Bear from Enigma, and welcome to Decentralize This. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Decentralize This, presented by Enigma. I'm Tor Bear. I'm the head of growth for Enigma, and on today's episode, I am talking with Andrew Keys. Andrew works at Consensus, where he leads their financial services arm, Consensus Capital. He was previously head of global business development for Consensus, and he started the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance, or EEA. He has extensive experience with entrepreneurship and capital markets, and he's seen firsthand what it really takes to drive the adoption of decentralized technologies by businesses around the world. On this episode, Andrew talks with me about the evolution of consensus and its vision, developing a new language for decentralization, how to start building products for millions of users instead of simply hundreds, and as is Andrew's annual tradition, his biggest predictions for 2019. There's been some additional news stories and coverage around consensus since we recorded this episode near the end of last year, but everything we discussed on this episode is even more relevant now than it was when Andrew and I spoke, especially the long-term vision for consensus and the decentralization space as a whole. Andrew is a very engaging guy, so I hope this is a particularly fun and informative listen for all of you. So without any further introduction, here is Andrew Keys. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Decentralize This. It's a pleasure to have you on, man. Thanks for having me on, Tor. So we start every episode the same way. Very quick overview. Who are you personally, professionally? Who's Andrew Keys? <laughs> That's a deep question. Uh, I know. You know, I, I like, I like, I like long walks on the beach and holding hands. Now. So, uh, my name is Andrew, and I am a 36-year-old young man who got into the concept of decentralization relatively early uh, by meeting a gentleman who I believe is in the process of changing the world named Joseph Lubin at the first ever Ethereum meetup in New York City. I, I literally was a nerd attending a meetup and, uh, and I fell down the rabbit hole. Uh, my best computer science was in high school and college, and it's been technically downhill from there. I, I always joke around about uh, basically doing well in college, but 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 and understanding architecture, but leaving the good engineering to uh, the brilliant software engineers. Uh, and I helped to build consensus from a handful of us. To, to what it is now, which, which is, you know, over a thousand people in 30 countries uh, working a full stack software engineering company, uh, essentially horizontally uh, to build the next generation of the internet and the applications that lay on top. All that sounds pretty good. A little ambitious, some might say, uh, but definitely consensus is, is not known for being an organization without ambition. Uh, so I definitely want to get into like you know, where consensus is today, where it's going. There, there's been a bunch of like recent news items about consensus, but I, I definitely want to start with like a quick look back in time. Let's go back to that. It was at an Ethereum meetup back in 2014. Yeah. Yep. Let's go. Let's go back to that because you were the first business hire at consensus. So first of all, back then, like what was consensus, and what did you see in Joe Lubin and in consensus back then that made you believe that this was the path you wanted to take? So, so I think to, to answer that question, it would help to give you just a little bit of context of what I was doing beforehand. Yeah. Uh, before consensus. So, so prior to consensus, immediately prior to consensus, I had co-founded a revenue cycle management company. And, and, and what that means is when you go to the doctor's office and you handed your insurance card to uh, the doctor, uh, that information would get sent to Chennai, India, where a biller would fight with Aetna or Blue Cross Blue Shield, and eventually the doctor would get paid. And, and, and really what it is, is it's a medical database and payment system. And so 
at its highest level, I learned everything that was wrong with databases and payment systems. And, and, and this was during the time that Bitcoin happened. And, and for simplicity, I look at Bitcoin as a database and a payment system. And uh, I had been, I had been really searching for what was going to be that next step because really in Bitcoin, Alice can just pay Bob peer to peer, but Alice can't pay Bob based upon conditions. If this happens, then payment happens, else failure, uh, which now uh, I would consider smart contracts. Right. So, so basically, when 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 Joe explained the concept of Ethereum as, as, as Bitcoin with that programmability, uh, I, my jaw dropped. And, and, and while I knew it in a very uh, vertical specific uh, notion in, in healthcare, I, I thought that this had the ability to really change every type of business and, and essentially our social political and financial operating systems. Uh, and, and that's when I, I went down the rabbit hole. And uh, at that time, consensus hadn't even formed yet. And, and, uh, and, and Joe was still working at the Ethereum Foundation. Uh, we started putting on weekly meetups. I actually volunteered to work for free for consensus initially because I was just so enamored with uh, the concept of uh, 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 of what he was wanted to build and what Vitalik was building and and kind of really uh, it, it, it it felt to me like the beginnings of a new industrial revolution. Right, and it was the beginning, right? Like, and that industrial revolution, if it's the third or fourth or fifth, I'm not really sure. I I don't keep track, but it's certainly ongoing. Like, it was very early stages then. I remember. I was at MIT in 2015, and uh, I believe Joe Lubin Skyped in, and uh, he he was speaking in a, one of these blockchain technologies class that MIT had just started doing that, of course, I took immediately, um, and he was presenting some of these early consensus projects. This is I, – I believe this was like fall 2015. What was, what was going on then? Like so, so now we're a little bit past like those very yeah. early so, stages. So, so yeah. So mainnet launched – uh, July 31st, 2015. Yep. So really what, what, what we had just realized, uh, the consensus was probably 20 some odd people. Um, we were in a, uh, a, a pop-up, uh, workspace on Kent Avenue. That was probably less than 2000 square feet. Uh, and, uh, the engineers uh, wanted to build DApps, and they came to the very harsh reality that they had no developer tools to build with. Right. You know, typically, you know, typically an engineer would use something like Visual Studio, and there was nothing. And and we were basically building software with no developer tools on a platform that was a month old, in an ecosystem that didn't exist. Yeah. So, so, so we really had to build everything from scratch. So, so it, you know, to, to a certain extent, it was like going west in, in 49 to find the gold. And if, and if you were interested in finance, there, there were revol revolutions in finance. If you were interested in, in music, you, there could be a revolution there and in, in electricity and oil and gas and right. accounting, you know, anything. It was, it was just kind of reimagining uh, how the world could work. So it was very uh, – I, I, I felt like a, like a child w w with kind of my, my jaw dropped uh, at a circus. You know, yeah. it, you know, my eyes were wide open. Uh, pupils dilated, kind of looking at really the the the, the enormity of, of of potential. There was enormous potential. There remains obviously enormous potential. And as consensus has moved through the years, and Ethereum has moved through the years, and the and the whole decentralization space has moved through the years, I think what the whole space has been reckoning with is this move from that like wide eyed ambition and anticipation into something that's more like practical. 
You know, like, yep. what is it actually going to take to do this? So the big question that we always attack on this podcast, right, no matter who the guest is, is like, what is it actually going to take? Like, no hype, no BS. What is it actually going to take yeah. to get decentralization, Probably. these technologies in the hands of not just, you know, a couple thousand developers or some early adopters of dApps, like, but millions Probably. of people. The the revolution that, Probably. like, Vitalik yeah. would talk about, about, you know, banking the unbanked, unbanked. and everything yeah. else. So, so my question specifically is what is consensus now that was that like that it was growing so fast the ambitions were high what is consensus right now on your web page it's a global organism so why is it described that way and 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 what does it mean so consensus is actually in the in in a transition from what we're calling consensus 1.0 to consensus Uh 2.0 and and joe has whimsically uh given the analogy that 1.0 was to uh, use philosophical arguments and 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 mathematics uh to point and say that there actually is a moon and 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 to prove that the moon and now consensus 2.0 is building streamlined rockets to land on the moon because uh, landing on the moon will really prove that it actually exists. And, and, and I think what consensus 1.0 versus 2.0 is, is uh, in the beginning, we had to be very researchy. We had to uh, fail fast. We had to boil the ocean uh, and, and, and try to meet as many developers as possible, as many enterprises as possible, uh, tell the story of decentralization to the lay people mm-hmm. uh, that may not be the computer scientists. Uh, and now uh, consensus 2.0 is going to be a rigorous product driven software company building next generation decentralization or decentralized applications, developer tools and infrastructure. And to get, you know, and to answer your question on w- w- what does it take to to get uh, this into millions of hands, uh, I, I guess primarily I'll start technically, and then and then we can kind of go up the stack. Um, first and foremost, uh, my my position is that we are still in the first out of the first inning of decentralization, mm-hmm. and 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 we're probably, if you want to use the intranet internet analogy we're probably before dial-up started in 96 so we're definitely before dial-up we were probably somewhere in 93 94 mm-hmm. and 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 at the protocol layer uh we are still plagued by scalability and privacy issues mm-hmm. uh at for ethereum which is uh, the primary stack that we build on uh there is a specific roadmap uh to address both scalability and privacy going from proof of work to proof of stake, using sharding, using layer two solutions like state channels, uh, in, incorporating things like zero knowledge proofs uh, on the privacy side. So basically the, the protocol layer, the equivalent of TCP IP HTTP needs to mature. Uh, another thing that we need to do is develop standards. Uh, Java for like the technology historians, Java as a software language became the most use software language on earth when it really evolved into J2EE, Java 2 Enterprise Edition, because it had clean web APIs and clean database APIs. And and it, whether you were in Mumbai or in Paris or in San Francisco uh, and you were an engineer, everyone would use those same standards. Mm-hmm. And what, what we've started doing is building those standards. And, you know, I think there have been some very early successes of those types of standards, things like that. ERC-20 token standard. There's now an identity standard. Uh, there are reputation standards. So, so basically, uh, understanding that when we keep moving up the stack, so we've got kind of improving the protocol, creating these standards. Next is creating the developer tools. So, uh, so, so engineers can actually build these things out. Uh, and so the most used developer tool in the world for smart contracts is something named Truffle. Uh, we created that in house mm-hmm. and, and it was really because our developers had no tools to build with. So, so we built that 
we, we've also created something called Infura, which is Akamai essentially for blockchains. It's a load balancer. Yep. Uh, and, and, and we have other tools, uh, such as Kaleido, which is our blockchain as a service tool where you can spin up a blockchain environment in a permissioned intranet, like walled garden, which, uh, gives a, a, a real ease in deploying an infrastructure mm-hmm. with a single click. So when, then when we create that, and then above that, finally is the application layer. Uh, and, and really, uh, when we think about the application layer, you know, in, in this time, when I analogize it to 94, uh, from 96 to 06, 85% of dot coms went to zero. And I think that there will be a similar trajectory of uh, booms and busts at the application layer. But with, you know, going forward, there will be those viral applications and those will help change the world. And then lastly, I think there's education. We have to educate not only the engineers, but the subject matter experts in their domain. So blockchain for lawyers, blockchains for artists, blockchains for supply chain. Right. Uh, and we have to explain to the lay people, what is decentralization and why do you care? Because most people just want an app that works and to look at cute pictures of their friends' kids on Facebook or to buy the plane ticket, or to, or, or, or to get the Uber ride, and they, they may not understand the implications of, uh, and, and they just accept the status quo uh, as a foregone conclusion. Yeah, this is this is a huge education. This education thing is like a huge component of everything that we do at Enigma, and it, and it's you know, educating about the why as well as the how. And building the audience of people who who should care about decentralization as as for what it means like for their livelihoods, like politically, like we, we've had guests on this podcast, you know, from the Tor project speaking about how their network, you know, it, it has nothing to do with blockchain, but it has everything to do with, you know, returning power to individuals through the use of a decentralized network of relayers. That's that's really powerful to me is seeing that this is sort of a global effort around decentralization. Um, what I'm trying to do and what you're trying to do, it sounds like it's coordinate some of that effort from the developers uh, at the protocol level to the application level, but also, you know, the artists and activists, like just bringing all these people together around these common causes and, and giving them something to work towards. So to that end, I, w- I want to ask you before we get into uh, something else, uh, when you look at consensus's relationship to Ethereum, how would you yeah. how would you characterize it? You know, like wh- from where it began to where it is now. Sure. How do you uh, think sure. about other projects in the space? Because, sure. I, I, especially now working, you know, with Enigma, we're we're building, of course, a scalability and privacy solution. You know, right now it's layer two. We think a lot about you know how you combine a secure computation network with a blockchain like Ethereum, like our our initial. Uh, our initial network is launching compatible with Ethereum. We use Ethereum for verification. Like we, we love Ethereum. We love the developer community, but we have our own opinions about what the best way to solve for privacy would be. And it seems like a lot of the thinking in the Ethereum community is very like zero knowledge centric. And that's not the solution that we've chosen to prioritize. How does consensus think about like when they look out at the universe of projects, solutions, developers, thinkers, how do they think about their role? Well, sure. with all of these other projects sure. and how they can be supportive. Great, great question. And, 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 and we would love to learn more about that computation that, that, that Enigma is building. And we are big fans of what you guys are doing well, thank already. <laughs> so, 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 so I think Ethereum or excuse me, consensus obviously grew out of one of the co-founders of Ethereum and Joe Lubin recognizing that. Uh, and, and sorry if, if, if my analogies are corny, that, that essentially Xbox was being built, but there were no games yet. Uh, and, 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 and basically what's good is an Xbox if you have no games to play. And so uh, initially it was kind of really the only turn complete stack that was there. There was obviously Bitcoin for, for, for storage of value, but, but introducing uh, the Ethereum virtual machine, where we can essentially codify anything, uh, was that next step. And uh, to be 100% honest, 
we have always said that if something better were to come around, uh, we could potentially pivot to that. But at this point, we believe that Ethereum uh, has the largest developer concentration, the mm -hmm. most momentum, and and has the flexibility uh, when, when comparing to kind of, let's say, the enterprise blockchains where we see things like Fabric built by IBM or Cordo by R3, we, we, we very much parallel uh, those to the early intranets, right. permissioned, private. And uh, we do think that uh, permission blockchains are important, and especially right now because the public ones aren't scaling and the, the public ones have not mastered privacy, uh, that, that it makes a lot of sense to, to build on a permissioned blockchain. But we look at those as training wheels in a adoption lifecycle where we do foresee these scalability problems being solved in the future. And, and and really what we do think is that for kind of a base layer of a stateful internet, uh, Ethereum present, uh, possesses these qualities in a permissioned context and a permissionless context. So you can splay your business logic in both places, which we think is extremely important. Yeah, I talk about this a lot, right? Like building solutions that work for individuals as well as institutions, you know, and yeah. and, and Bitcoin obviously was was not built for institutions. It was built around the idea that, you know, you have ownership of your private keys, therefore you have ownership of your Bitcoin. It's it's a bearer instrument, and that was very powerful. But I've also seen you write, you know, that Bitcoin is the least interesting use of blockchain. And that's a contentious statement. Um, yep. And I've had Bitcoin maximalists on this show uh, and, and talked with them elsewhere uh, and to argue to them that like blockchain can be an enabling technology, you know, something that unlocks vast new opportunities like a world computer or like a like global secure computation network. Like blockchain is a part of that stack, but it's not the whole it's not the whole thing. If you think if you think blockchain is the whole thing. You know, maybe Bitcoin is the killer app, but if you think blockchain can be part of a larger whole and there's this there's this vision of decentralization, not yeah. not not like the end goal is blockchain, but the end goal is decentralization. Like, is, is that the view that you hold? Do you think that's just like a healthier view to have if you're building? Yeah. So so I have to apologize because I, I got a lot of flack when I said that. Uh, I imagine you did, you know. Bitcoin and 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 what I would say is that everything uh, in the blockchain space, uh, everything and everyone has Bitcoin to thank. We're essentially standing on a giant shoulders, mm -hmm. and and Bitcoin was that opening act, and 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 really what Satoshi did was the a marvelous first step. Uh, to your point, what I am most interested is the decentralized world wide web stack and what and what i think that stack is composed of is a decentralized smart contract layer and i think that the smart contract layer is important because it's somewhat of the glue that everything else kind of works with uh and and then you have things like decentralized file storage things like filecoin from the from protocol labs i think is a very interesting kind of early contender in that layer of the stack yeah. things like decentralized peer-to-peer -peer messaging i'm not sold on the telegram uh token sale or you know what they're doing just yet but i think you know <laughs> something like matrix uh out of from matthew hodgson out of out of cambridge in the uk he's doing some really interesting work on uh, decentralized encrypted messaging, uh, I think mesh networking uh, is 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 part of that stack, and 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 having things like secure computation is going to be necessary for all of it, right. and 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 you know you can almost consider that like the glue. But but I I, I think that you know to 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 probably summarize it, uh, I believe that we're going to go to a world where we're essentially commoditizing how humans agree and trust each other. And we're coming from a world where we just commoditized how we communicated. Right. And, and, and now that we're commoditizing the idea of trust and agreement, that could essentially 
create a price discovery mechanism for the value of intermediation. And, and, in, and in many cases, intermediaries do add value, uh, but uh, what this does is uh, can really go deal by deal, case by case, uh, situation by situation right. on, on removing the opacity of, of the intermediary uh, and, and really understanding. Because uh, there will be cases where intermediaries will add value uh, and, and they're not going to go away by any means uh, over the next uh, 20 years. But I think what this does is it, it broadly starts to push the value from the intermediary in the transaction to the two counterparties on either side of it. I think that's a really valuable visualization. So I want that to kind of like, you know, burn home for people listening. It's like that's kind of this idea around decentralization is disintermediation and allowing value to accrue. It's it's not just like redistributing value to the end participants in a transaction. It's also about growing the pie as a result. And the new kinds of systems and value that's created by allowing for more direct contact between these participants. And I, I had Anthony Pompliano on this podcast uh, a little bit ago, and then I got in a Twitter fight with him because he said that Amazon was decentralized because it was yeah. like a global marketplace. And it was such a – it seemed like such an inherently ridiculous statement because what you're arguing for is like a world in which we don't need Amazon as a platform but where the seller and the buyer can come together and create value for each other and other sellers and buyers without needing that trusted intermediary. Is that is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. I, I think that's a really valuable – visualization for people to hold on to. And the reason I'm asking people to hold on to that visualization for a second is because I'm about to ask you about language, you know, because language and imagery, all of this is super important when you're trying to communicate and educate. And as you're saying, consensus has that priority. Enigma has that priority. There's this huge emphasis on education. And the one thing that we keep bumping up against is that all of these concepts are, you know, they have different connotations in the minds of different people. They have different definitions. So things like Bitcoin, blockchain, Ethereum, decentralization, all these words can be nebulous. They're ill-defined. Some people think that they are a amazing thing, like very positive connotations around Bitcoin and then negative about Ethereum, or some people are positive on both, but negative around this idea of like blockchain outside of enabling these things or, or it's vice versa, right? So you're always talking with people who have different attitudes toward the different concepts and they can't even agree necessarily on the definitions. How, how do you think, you know, so I, I, I hovered on disinterme disintermediation for a second because I think it helps us define what decentralization is. How do you think about this language? D is the key developing new language or is it just like better education and understanding around the terms we already use to describe concepts in this space? Great points, Thor. Uh, so I, the, the and, and, and I feel like language is, is, is a great way to use kind of these analogies is that if, if, if you and I were looking outside and I pointed to the sun, Mm -hmm. You would call it, you would call it the sun, and if we were in Spain, you would call it El Sol, and if you, we were we were in Japan, it would be called by a different name in Russia, a different name. But 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 it's you know indisputable that there is this energy that is giving us warmth, light, etc. And I think similarly, we have unfortunately gotten too many religions, uh, Bitcoin versus Ethereum, Ethereum versus Ethereum Classic, enterprise blockchains versus uh, public networks. And there's and, and because we're in the first out of the first inning, no one knows exactly what's going to work. Right. Um, and people can have their hypotheses, but to the extent that we can use topics like decentralization at the macro level, and, and say that, you know, for the next decade, uh, we know that these systems aren't working extremely well right now. You know, we, we, we basically uh, have substituted transactional throughput for trust, and we now have these kind of trusted uh, trust machines, uh, and they work really slowly. And some of them work in a public context, some of them work in a, on a cloud. Uh, but But why don't we just say that there is value in decentralization and let's let 
the scientists figure it out and build the best solutions. And, and typically how the world works is the best solutions usually uh, bubble up to the top and, and other things attrition. So, so, so I think that, you know, I, 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 I find it foolish when people are too religious and not open-minded at this early in, in the game. Well, tribalism is, is sort of what results when you, you have a, a skin in the game, right? And in a space that's all around aligning incentives, you know, within systems, but also, you know, when you're coordinating all these decentralized organizations, you know, incentives can be everything. Once, once you're bought into something, you know, it, it's kind of hard to see it objectively, and that's yeah. that's always my concern when I have conversations uh, with people and, and they are talking about the space as though it, it's competitive, as though it's zero sum, as though there could be only one second layer solution or only one like base chain or things like that and only one Bitcoin. I mean I understand the argument for saying like there is only one Bitcoin. Uh, I can also understand that like once you fork something – you know, is there even the first Bitcoin in the first place, like from a tech from a technical perspective? So I'm I don't know. It's it's a really complex kind of topic. The one thing I just know has to be wrong is when somebody says, like, we will be the decentralized web. If somebody tries to sell me on the idea that the thing that they're building, the one thing that they're building is the entire decentralized web, that they ignore the stack and they're just talking about being like an all-in-one kind of solution, their blockchain 3000 or whatever it is, and that is the decentralized <laughs> web. It's an oxymoron almost, you know, to say anyway. like my centralized project, my, my single thing is the decentralized web, come build on me. It doesn't seem to be a tenable position. And that's why I think consensus is in a really interesting position because I feel like you you can be an organization or an organism that bridges all of these different kinds of projects, but not, not, not just like the blockchain projects, but all these different kinds of movements. Like you can advocate for things by, by being project agnostic. I, I feel like you have a unique opportunity. That said, execution is everything. So how are you thinking about – now, now back to, you know, very consensus focused. How are you thinking about execution? My, my analogy here being like Elon Musk telling everybody he's going to revolutionize underground transit and then he shows it off and it's really just cars going 30 miles an hour, right? Like you can okay. dream big and fail spectacularly publicly. Obviously, you don't want to do that. How are you actually going to execute? So that's not you. So, so, so I think one 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 consideration that we should explain is our research and development team. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a team called Pegasus, the protocol engineering group and protocol protocol and systems engineering uh, team. And there there are fifty PhDs, probably some of them from your alma mater at MIT, mm -hmm. uh, that that are tasked with uh, understanding. What is the next generation of the internet look like, looking like? And not only, you know, on Ethereum. Yes, I, I will say that they are definitely working on scalability and privacy and uh, and 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 aspects of having permissioned and permissionless Ethereum working together. Mm -hmm. But really, uh, trying to be as unbiased as possible on. What are the other layers of the stack? What are other uh, solutions looking like? And and really just researching that out. So so I think that it's important to to note that that one of our largest teams is just on pure research. Uh, so so I think that that's important. And then I think what we do from the actual application and enterprise adoption and, and really consumer adoption is elucidate proofs of concepts, get feedback loops, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and then fail as fast as possible right. and, 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 and build those proofs of concepts into minimal viable products and build those MVPs into production. And that, you know, that kind of gets boring in the sense that that's kind of like the, 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 true tested way to agilely develop software but right. but we haven't you know whether it's a decentralized application or a centralized application there are best practices 
and we're, we're adding that type of rigor uh, into the, the application layer. So you're tightening the feedback loops, right? Like you're just trying yeah. to get stuff out there, getting better at observing how it's how it's being received and how it's being used. Yeah. And and then in terms of internal coordination, right? Because consensus is now how many people currently, even after this like um, yeah. this latest latest round, how many yeah. people are working at consensus? Over a thousand still. Over a thousand I, I still, think, right? I, I think uh, yeah, I think people are like you're about... laying off these people, and I'm like, it's still a thousand person organization. You know, even even yeah. if you remove what's what's not working to focus on what is, like it's still massive. How do you coordinate focus internally for a and you are a decentralized organism yeah. organization, yeah. right? Yeah. How do you do it? And 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 then throw in the fact, and on top of that, we try to uh, operate in a non hierarchical flat way so, yeah. so, so it's not quite holacracy more, is it it's just like it's, it's not holacracy it so so we call you know we try to embody this decentralized mesh sure uh and so so we've been calling it meshocracy uh kind of ch- tongue-in-cheek but uh-huh. but uh but basically we are adding kind of an accountability rigor uh to 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 our product development uh so things like 360 degree feedback uh things like retrospectives and introspectives before a project uh starts and after the project ends um things like milestoning uh things like uh just accurately budgeting for client needs and and one thing that we're really trying to do and and we've really found helpful is I would say one of the things in the in the first few years was we would just go out and build things. Uh, th- there were there were teams that could just build software, and then we, we we could think what the client wanted. But until we got actual consultation from clients and got that feedback, uh, that's really when we started honing in the products. Right. So so I'll give you a great example. We Please. built a a supply chain. For BHP Billiton, which was one of the largest natural resources mining companies in the world, and uh, from that consultation, that informed our creation of our supply chain product. So basically, we went out, we got uh, a, you know a a requirements of what a large organization would need. We built something for them, and then. That informed our thinking and our hypotheses on how to build a product that could be general purpose for any uh, organization that needs a supply chain. Right. So, so, so getting those feedback loops we've found to be uh, invaluable. That's amazing. I mean, that's but that's like product development, right? Like you, you got to get the the feedback. You have to integrate the feedback. You have to re, you know re-release something. Do you feel like you know if you're trying to get these technologies into the hands? It's like we said at the beginning, right? Of millions of people. How how do you think about like doing product research? You know, given that decentralized technologies have such limited adoption right now, given that it's the first inning, how do you think about researching how you should be building products for for millions of people? If if so far we've only been able to reach thousands, right? So so I think the the key differentiator is is that we're not we you know in some cases on just pure product plays we're doing kind of the textbook, uh, you know interviews and creating their personas and, and defining what persona needs what type of product but it in what we've been doing is we've been actually going out to customers and we give up kind of what is decentralization and what is the blockchain and what is ethereum and what is you know what is the decentralized web stack uh, and they give up to us what are the actual requirements in mm. production needed to go from 1994 to 2010? Right. Uh, right. And, and, and whether that's things like security, whether that's transactional throughput, whether that's user experience, um, basically we're saying this is more than just a cool science experiment now. We've proven the science experiment. We've proven that yes, there is a moon that yeah. exists now we've got to build the rocket ships to get there and get very rigorous in 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 the in the landscape and in the 
in the roadmap to build. So we're, so, we're still so, talking about like the technical requirements and that and it sounds like you've got a good process for that. Now, in terms of actually like seeing organizations implement some of this technology beyond a pilot, there's a huge political aspect to that as well, especially if you're trying to revolutionize an entire industry, not even like a single organization. I remember from my time at MIT, one of my final research reports was on the use of blockchain in the music industry. And the big blocker as I saw it wasn't even so much that like, you know, here's how a blockchain would have to work in order to secure digital music rights and handle payouts and things like that. It was just the whole industry was so broken that the level of coordination required to pull this off, I did put on the order of decades. I said, maybe by 2050, somebody's made this effort. Maybe the songwriting guild has gotten their act together. You know, like those were the blockers. What do you think of like consensus's role in terms of building this sort of industry wide uh, consensus, if you will, uh, around yeah. adopting these new technologies? How are you handling like the political aspect of this? So, so, you know, you, you know, first and foremost, you nailed it, uh, because now with these globally decentralized ledgers, you start creating new aspects of governance where, uh, you know, something like, uh, in, in finance where basically, uh, you could have 10 competing investment banks that do their clearing and settlement through an intermediary, like the depository trust and clearing corporation or a central bank. Uh, now, you can literally take that middleman of the DTCC or the central bank out and you could create a distributed ledger. And now you have competitors uh, that may be more – it may be more beneficial for them to collaborate. And it creates all new types of business models. Um, you know, one one example that, that's uh, very pertinent to today uh, was uh, our release uh, of a production system named Comgo, K-O-M-G-O, and it has 10 of the largest banks and uh, a super major oil producer, Shell, that basically is doing the digitization of the commodities of oil. And today, what went live was their uh, KYC solution. So if you can imagine a bank uh, or, 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 or every bank, they all have these redundant processes to do anti-money laundering and know your customer um, to, to get a client. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine uh, we have now this global substrate uh, of a blockchain mm -hmm. where if I'm Andrew Keys and I prove – to the identity, uh, let's say the, the 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 identity god that uh, I my last here here are my my last two years of tax returns and I am an accredited investor and here's my social security and I get a badge that says I am indeed Andrew Keys and that identity now is my way that I access uh, any type of transaction. Now, if I were if I were a banking client of J.P. Morgan or Goldman Sachs or Citibank or Morgan Stanley, I don't have to do the same AML KYC processes over and over and over again. And these are right. these redundant operational processes that each bank has to do. Uh, and if you can kind of abstract that cost center, where you know if each bank didn't have to pay for its own individual and the and the same. That, that cost could be spread across a consortia of them, um, that relieves a tremendous burden. So mm -hmm. I think what happens is they're going to go for, let's say, it, it, for right now, low-hanging fruit and, 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 and places where I would say that it's trivial collaboration. So something like AML KYC, you're not competing on that. That's not like a financial product or a financial service. That's just a cost center that if you could streamline and 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 you could enhance and you could reduce the cost, right. that's just a win for everybody. So it's not kind of proprietary secret sauce. Uh, and I think that if if is if you could do that, uh, that's where you can win these earlier lower hanging fruits. And they're public and then, wins. These these are wins yeah. that are observable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so so I think what we're going to see now, because this is a twenty year process, right? Mm -hmm. uh, 
know, the, the, the AOL dial up versus what we use now and what we do on the Internet uh, is, is completely different 20 years later. Right. So, you know, we don't know how it's going to work out. But right now we're seeing, you know, the year of the proofs of concepts, the year of the MVPs, the year of kind of trivial collaborations on middle and back office processes, whether it's in music. Or, or electric grids or finance, right. uh, and and then it'll 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 evolve uh, to higher up the value stack. Right. I I you're transitioning very nicely into what is now the the final part, but my most favorite part of this specific podcast because we're recording right now. It's December 2018. You kicked off 2018 with this great post about your 18 2018 blockchain predictions. And we've touched on a lot of them, you know, some were about this idea of permission chains as intranets. Some of it was about identity and self-sovereign identity. And some of it was about, you know, Bitcoin itself. There were all these predictions in there, uh, glossing over the ones that didn't come true, uh, such as some of the price predictions. Um, not that we talk about that on this podcast ever, but yep. a lot of the other ones did come true. They were pretty resonant. So I'm curious. Here we are going into 2019. Yeah. I'm not going to ask you to make a price prediction because it there's yeah. there's really no point, right? Yeah. And yep. I don't care. And it's not something we can control. What we control is education, getting more people into the space, having more of these kind of visible wins for decentralized yep. technology and decentralized organizations and all of these systems. What are your other like – big predictions for 2019 that you really yep. hope that you're right about? And then what are some predictions that you hope you're wrong about? So a uh, uh, so great, great question. A few areas that I'm focused on for 2019 is one, improving interoperability. Mm -hmm. I, I think that uh, you will have an oligopoly of of blockchains, I don't think that there will be millions of them. I think that there probably will be millions of tokenized assets. We're going to have assets, mm -hmm. you know, tokenized gold and tokenized electricity and tokenized concert tickets and, and music stems. But but I think that they will. Uh, you'll get very kind of specific uh, blockchains. So you'll have your fire storage blockchains, your your smart contract blockchains, um, but having those interoperate more efficiently, I think will be a key theme. Uh, that's one. The second uh, I'm hoping that Enigma really helps <laughs> with <laughs> is, is improving privacy oh, yeah. and uh, layer two scalability. Realistically, I don't think that um, uh, at least for Ethereum, which is kind of the subdomain that, that, that I work out of primarily uh, I, I'm really hoping that we we start getting uh, production grade state channels, things like the Raiden network. I think are, are very interesting to look at. Uh, I, I I look at uh, kind of front runners in the next layers of the stack. Uh, you know, obviously uh, Filecoin hasn't even gone live yet on on decentralized file storage, and we're kind of in the early days of the smart contract layer. We're getting improvements of privacy. I think that. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in seeing what happens in messaging uh, and how that gets embedded into uh, these applications, mm -hmm. what happens in, in mesh networking and how that gets embedded into these applications. Uh, I really hope that with the rise of political populism around the world, you know, it, it breaks my heart to see like what's happening in France and, and some of the stuff that's happening even here in America. But I, I hope that we can teach people the, the awareness, not even to be biased towards decentralization, because I don't want it to be a hammer looking for a nail. But, mm -hmm. but I, I want people to understand that uh, the internet that they go on wasn't built so a handful of, of companies, you know, Fanga, like Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, you know, plus, you know, a handful of other ones um, is how this should work. And, and, and basically those middlemen provide a identity payment layer and reputation and extract monopolistic value. Right. And, and, and that there's a better way in some cases. I, I would love that we also start reflecting upon what this technology is doing to our society and, and, it, and, and really start to debate 
if uh, if if these technology monopolies are adding value or or adding the amount of value that they're extracting from the system. Yeah, I mean, I as a prediction that I hope comes true, it's that we're seeing that we'll start seeing some meaningful competition to these centralized platforms for the functions that they actually perform. And then just to that second half of my question, is there anything that you are anticipating 2019 will bring that you would actually prefer to be wrong about? So I would prefer to be wrong that we – so I was a little bit disappointed that we didn't get as much movement on the protocol layer. Uh, uh, and and, if, you, and if, if for any of those who are Fred Wilson fans, he went out and lambasted a few of the protocols mm. uh, on, on their rigor in, in kind of just shipping, like a pure technical shipping process. Yeah. Uh, and and, and I'm, I hope I'm wrong – that we that we don't see any more delay. Uh, I feel like the, there wasn't material protocol upgrades uh, in in nineteen. Things like Filecoin didn't ship. Things like Affinity um, aren't going live now. Uh, Ethereum delayed two protocol upgrades. This yeah. stuff is really complicated, though. I mean, right. I, I I can't fault them, and they're all. It's not like building uh, a patch for an app. This is building the substrate of how planet Earth works. Right. So uh, it, it just is what it is. It's high stakes. Um, yeah, it's super high stakes. I, I agree with you that, you know, uh, you know, if you were to make a prediction that 2019 will, will contain some more major delays, I think it's just unavoidable given how many promises have been made and given just how hard it is to do this stuff right and due to the, you know, immutable nature of so many of the technologies that we're building, you don't want to ship something and then immediately see it break. It's it can be catastrophic. So, you know, I, I hope that, you know, that prediction is not true. I hope we get to see a lot of stuff ship, you know, like we, we've got stuff coming out next quarter. I know a lot of project that you're talking about in the in the decentralized stack have a lot of stuff in the beginning of next year. So I'm, I'm hoping that we start the year strong. We see a lot of cool new stuff getting tested out and we make some of those wins visible. And if we can do that. Amen. If we can do that, I don't have any concerns about, you know, 2020 and beyond. I, I just think it needs to be a year of wins for the technology and for adoption. And particularly, I think, as you're saying, for education and awareness. Totally agree, Tor. Well, Andrew, it was a pleasure, man. We've uh, we've had a lot to talk about. I'm hoping, again, that we can revisit this at the end of 2019 and, and see how see how laughable all of our <laughs> predictions and conversations yeah. were. But at the very least, I think awareness is growing. And if anybody wants to learn more about how consensus is contributing to that effort, is there any website they can go to to kind of learn more about what you guys are working on? Yep. www.consensus.net. And we basically have an open door policy. Uh, if you want to learn, if you want to collaborate, uh, we've got offices all around the world. We've got some hubs in London New York, San Francisco, and some satellite offices kind of really everywhere. So just please, uh, this is not about a single entity. This is about a movement, bottom up. I believe it. I'm excited to see where it goes. Well, thank you, Andrew. And uh, I hope we get to do this again sometime soon, but good luck building. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Tor. And good luck to the Enigma team. Please, let's collaborate. For sure.